0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. Aren't those beautiful words to start our time together? If we could live with that heart posture before God, a heart that's postured with open hands saying, Lord, everything I have is yours, and everything that you have to offer me, I want to receive. That would be pure joy. And uh, praise the Lord that we have that possibility and that reality in our lives. I just had two really nice weeks of vacation. They were restorative, and uh, I'm glad to be back, and I also feel really good to be able to share with you this morning from God's Word. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts 3, and uh, we're going to be spending our time there today. Actually, this message will be the, the first of three that are focused on a scenario that takes place from Acts 3 till Almost towards the end of Acts 4, and we're going to get into that today. Uh, but before I do that, I got to tell you a little story. So, uh, just before flying home on Monday, I woke up in the morning and I had some time to read. And you know, every now and then you read these stories, and they're just kind of like, really, is that true? Like, it just seems kind of too fantastical. And so, the brief story was this: they actually didn't have many details, but the story was this guy was walking through just some vacant property. And uh, he found something. Good word for it would be a treasure. He found it. He opened it up, took a quick look, closed it off because he said, whoa, this is, this is more than what I own, way more than what I own. And so the guy went. He sold everything, sold his house, sold all his property in order to buy the piece of land that was for sale. So he buys a piece of land. Then he goes back, he takes the chest, he opens it up, and he finds out there is phenomenally more than he expected. He is good forever. Really? That happens? I don't know about you, but that seems to me, like, the story said he was a really joyful guy, and that risk of selling everything, you know, wasn't really too big of a risk when he found out what he got. And so, uh, I don't know, I thought I'd share that with you. And I also thought I'd share with you that that story is from the Bible. And uh, it's Matthew 13, verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and he bought that land. Kevin just talked about dying to self. That's not an easy thing to do, but when we understand things properly, when God opens our eyes in those special moments like Kevin mentioned he had, we have it at different times in our life where, where God just makes it so evident that, Doug, if you're willing to give me everything, I will be everything for you. Dead to self, alive in Christ, the hope of every Christian, and the hope we have to give this world. And with that, please stand with me as I read verses 1 to 10. Of Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a crippled man from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Look at us, Peter said. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, "'Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk.'" Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Well, before we get too far in today's text, I just want to highlight one thing about the the book of Acts and the author, Luke. We know for sure that Luke's priority all the time is Jesus Christ. And he starts off the book of Acts by saying this. In my former book, Luke, he says to Theophilus, I began to write all about the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until he went into heaven. But before or after he spoke to the disciples through the Holy Spirit about what they were supposed to do. For Luke, everything is about Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to understand when we read verse 1 of Acts 3, where we see one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. It's easy for us to be thinking, okay, great, this is going to be a story about Peter and John. Yes, it is. They're involved, but the main character is the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus doing these things through Peter and John. I hope many of you have been enjoying reading through the devotional Experiencing God Day by Day. Um, as I was reading it through it yesterday, I uh, found this quote that encouraged me, and I want to share with you today. It says, Jesus does not follow us, we are to follow him. You do not invite God to join you in your activity, he invites you to become involved in his action. It's so easy to think that we can make plans for God and then just ask him to bless it. God says, abide with me. Let me transform you. Let me let, hear my voice, and then you will know what to do, and it will already be blessed. It's so important for us to understand that even in our lives, Christ is the main character. We are dead to ourselves. We are alive in Christ, and we are gradually understanding what that means. And one day we will understand that fully in heaven, and that is a wonderful hope to have in front of us. We do know that Peter and John have known each other for a while. The Bible tells us that along with their brothers, they were fishermen. We did find out in Scripture that Jesus had really three close, close friends, and that was Peter, John, and James. And so they had a lot of special moments together. They were the three that were with Jesus when he went on the mountain, and he was transfigured before them glowing brighter than white, and they could see just a glimpse of who he actually is in his fullness. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and when Jesus went to pray, Jesus brought these three men along, Peter and John James. He brought them along to pray for him. When the news was that he died and rose again, the first two people to to run to the tomb were Peter and John. These guys have a lot of history together, and it's wonderful to see Uh, God using those kind of friendships to advance his kingdom. So, not a major point, but a a point to be made is from this, is that in Scripture, we see that ministry is meant to be team ministry. The Bible talks about we're a body. But even just generally speaking, uh, when we think of Jesus sending out the 72, it says he sent them out two by two. There's different ways that team works, but the idea is that it's, it's involved with us together. Because when we're together, people can witness the Holy Spirit among us in a way that's different than when we're apart. So I want to encourage you to think about who God might be wanting you to be partnered with to further his kingdom. And I'm not talking specifically about a ministry from the church. I'm talking about a way that you live life together with the people that you regularly rub shoulders with. Those 72 people, they went to villages and they were just the presence of Christ wherever they went. So who are those people that you know intimately and you know Christ together intimately that you could maybe be used by God to change the environments you live in? And please don't put an age limit on that. Don't tell me you're too young. Don't tell me you're too old. Just make yourself available and say, Lord, through my friendships, wherever we are, use us to advance your kingdom. Help us to be mindful that we're not alone, that you're with us now. Peter and John didn't know what was about to take place. They didn't make a plan to say, hey, it's three in the morning, let's go heal someone. They were just on their way. God showed them what to do. They did it. Another point is that there is something specific about Peter and John. They were apostles. So there's this apostolic ministry. And we heard about this in Acts 2, verse 43, when it says that everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miracles were done by the apostles. So Peter and John were apostles. And we also know in Acts that they had to find someone to replace Judas. So they, they said, Here's, there are qualifications for an apostle. And a, an apostle was someone who knew Jesus from the time that he was baptized by John, was with him all the way through, experienced his death, his resurrection, saw him come back and ascend to heaven. That was a qualification for an apostle. Someone who knew God's word through the Old Testament, knew it through Jesus Christ, and now knew it because of the Holy Spirit. That's an apostle. They were witnesses. Peter and John are unique that way, along with the other 10. Plus Paul, and we'll be learning about him in weeks ahead. So just want you to be aware that these men had a, had a unique role in church history, So we're going to be looking at the next few verses, verses 2 to 6, and I've just called this better than gold. What I have, I I give to you. That's, I think, the crux of this whole passage. And um, so we read these words. This is the first miracle mentioned in Acts. And so it says, Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Just highlight a few things from this verse. The first thing is that this man was crippled from birth, He wasn't in an accident. He didn't catch a disease later on where he lost the use of his legs. He had never known what it felt like to use his legs. And so this is important for us to know in this story that he was crippled from birth. The other thing is that there were people there who carried him to the temple, the temple gate called Beautiful. There actually isn't a reference to this beautiful gate. We don't know exactly where it is, but there are some educated guesses. And the one that seems to be The most suitable is a gate that they found that's called the Kainor. It's on the east side of the temple. It's the entrance into the court of women. And whereas all the other gates were sort of overlaid with silver and then set in gold, this door was made of pure bronze. It was hugely valuable, hugely heavy. And the story goes that when it closed at night and that sun would come up from the east, the sun would shine on the door and it was beautiful. It was just a gorgeous sight. So that's why, apparently, it was called uh, the Beautiful Gate, at least by some. And there were 15 stairs that were there to get to the door. And so on those 15 steps, people were often put there so that they could beg for alms, for money. And uh, the reason that that was a popular place is because in Jewish tradition, it was thought that, well, when you go to worship God, It's a good thing to be generous to other people. And in that way, you can show your devotion to God. So some people did that very piously. They did it kind of like, "Eh, look at me, right? But other people did that just to help. And so this was the location that many people would be if they needed financial help because they couldn't make a living on their own. So now Peter and John are walking by and we we read in the next verse, in verse 3, that the man sees that they're about to enter the temple. And he says, he says, uh, he asked them for money. And the Bible tells us that Peter and John looked at him intently. And then he said, look at us. Peter said that to the man, look at us. And then we read in verse 5, we read, So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Who would it, right? Someone goes to the problem of making eye contact with you, and you know, you'd expect something's coming so I can just imagine, here's that guy, and whatever he has, if it's a cup or whatever, he's just putting it up, looking to get something. And the first words out of Peter's mouth were, silver or gold, I don't have. This guy only had a split second, but I can imagine right away he was going, oh, come on. Like, why look at you? Like, you know, and, uh, but then Peter followed it up with these beautiful words. But what I have, I give to you. What I have, I give to you. I can tell you, for me, those are some of the most important words, because if I understand them properly, if what I have from God is available to me, it should be available to anybody else. And so think about what Peter had. In the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing about Pentecost. We've, We've heard about the coming of the Holy Spirit, his sermon for people to repent and turn back. He's got all this news about salvation. He also, again, as an apostle, has a unique view of life and opportunity in life because back in Matthew, when Jesus sent the 72 out, he gave all of those people, actually, the authority to heal every sickness, cleanse leprosy, raise the dead, cast out demons. We don't hear most of those stories, but God gave them this ability. So you can be sure that they used it. I think you would too if God said, I'll let you do this in my name. And so, Peter has a bunch of things that God has given him that he could give this man. So what is it that he chooses to give? And the Bible says, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. That's what Peter decides to give this man. Kind of surprises me, actually. When I first read it, why walk? So let's just sit in this for a little bit. This this story closely, at least for me, makes me think of the story of Jesus Christ when uh, do you remember there was this man who was lame, and he had his friends come to bring him for healing? But the house was so full that the people went on top of the roof, and, and through the opening they let him down. And then, and Jesus had this lame man in front of him. This is a story that, for me, it kind of parallels. There's, there are these kind of similarities, and uh, so the similarity is there's a there's friends bringing someone who needs healing. Uh, there's, uh, he's brought into the presence of Christ, in this case, and in Peter, and then Jesus tells him, get up, take your mat and walk. Okay, so there's those similarities. There's differences, though. First difference is that Jesus healed in his own authority. He just had it. He could do it. Peter didn't have that kind of authority. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He didn't try to pump anything up. He just said, this is who's doing it, buddy. More or less, he's saying, Jesus says, walk. That's amazing. He doesn't want to get in the way of God's glory at all. I want to share with you, this is day 16. I like this quote from our devotional. It says, God is not interested in receiving secondhand glory from our activity. God receives glory from his activity through our lives. Hugely important to remember that as we have the privilege of allowing God to work in and through us. So now we've got the idea of authority, but the other issue is faith. At least this is what I think when I read this, because the crippled man who came to Jesus, it says that Jesus saw their faith. And then actually the first thing he says to the man isn't get up and walk. He says, have courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Everybody else in the room goes, what? As if you have the ability to say that. That's blasphemous. (laughs) And then Jesus says, well, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up. The man gets up. Now, we're not told what takes place in this encounter with Peter and the man, but we're told that he looks at him intently. We know that he could... He could offer this man the good news of Jesus Christ right then and there. We don't But he just says, walk. And part of what I think is maybe Peter, again, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, said, this man isn't quite ready yet to hear about me. And neither are the people around. Let's show them something else to get them listening. Walk. And then we see what the fruit is from that gift. And can you imagine for this man who asked for money to get his legs back, not back to get his legs. Wow, what a a gift from God. But I want you to know that Peter, I don't think for a moment, thought that the big gift was the walking gift. God is very concerned about our bodies. He's very concerned about your health. He is, but he's much more concerned about the state of our relationship with him and what that means for the salvation of our souls. We know this about Peter, that he wasn't just flippantly saying walk because he was afraid to say something else. He just had this big message, 3,000 3, people came to know Christ as he was speaking. But in uh, Acts 2, verse 38, we read these words, Peter said to them, this is to the group after they've heard about what Christ, what they had done to Christ. Because of their sins, Christ was crucified. And they said, what should we do? Our hearts are torn. What should we do? Peter says to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't for a moment think that Peter wasn't thinking this is the most important thing. That you know you can be forgiven and that you can have the life of Christ in you when you die to yourself. The gift of forgiveness is huge. Today I want to encourage you with this. Most of us might not have a testimony where we say, yeah, I know God's real because this happened to me physically. I've never experienced that kind of a healing before. And that would be encouraging, but what each of us has is something that God says is worth more than that. He says, you have the salvation of your souls. You have the forgiveness of your heavenly Father. You have the restoration of relationship and the ability to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. I take that for granted. And I can tell you that because my joy isn't as full as it should be. I hope every day that we can humbly ask God, teach us the privilege we have of knowing you and the joy of having life with you. So I want to ask you that too. Are you enjoying that reality of what God has done in your life And if you're like me, you might have to be asking, too, is, Lord, help me to understand to a greater extent what a great miracle you've done by transforming me. And help me to recognize that more fully. This phrase I said, what I have I give to you, is just core when we understand That we might not be able to go out and do miracles like what we saw Peter and John do. Christ hasn't said, at least that I know of through us, to do that. Maybe he would in certain circumstances. But what I do know is that we have him. And he says, share me with others. Share the good news of me with others. And don't be afraid, be joyful, because I'm the best thing that has ever happened to you. Why are you scared to tell people? Take joy in me, and that joy will naturally overflow. We can't, well, you can try to artificially do it, but it's death. Don't just try to force yourself to love God. The only way that I know to really fall and just enjoy the love of God is to understand how much he has first loved me and to say, Lord, I want to receive from you, and I want to be joyful about you, no matter my circumstances. And with that joy, then I have the proper truth, and the proper attitude to share with other people, because there is nothing about you that isn't good, that isn't great, that isn't just the best ever. Let people respond how they may, but I want to give them the opportunity to know life. Sharing Jesus, that's what God asks us to do, and for the joy that's there. You know, the March 8th and 9th You've heard a little bit about this term seminar that's coming up. I just want to highlight a little bit. These are two nights from 6.30 till 9.30. We're going to be spending some time to to talk about how do we share our faith. And there's two components to sharing our faith. One is just truth. We need to know what this says about God, what God has revealed in His Word. But there's also testimony. And this conference is probably a little bit more about the truth. How do you share the truth well? And on Wednesday, it's called Evangelism Rethink, Approaching Evangelism in Today's Modern World. A number of different things they're going to approach. I'm just going to read three here. When it comes to evangelism and discipleship, I have concerns. When faced with fear, uncertainty, and a lack of knowledge, how do I build confidence? Another question they'll address. What does the Bible say is necessary before people will trust us or God? Finally, what practical suggestions can you give me for those spur-of-the-moment opportunities to share the gospel? And then on Thursday night, it's called Lifestyle Rethink, Cultivating a Lifestyle as Ambassadors. And two of the questions I'll mention here are, I don't want to come across as preachy. How can I communicate the gospel in a way that is engaging, accurate, and without arm-twisting? And another one, what irreducible minimums of the gospel must I bear in mind when explaining the good news of Jesus Christ? This is our first time to have an experience with this organization, but we're hoping that the training will prove uh, edifying and useful for us, encouraging in our faith. They very much focus on the historical truth of the Bible. We need to believe without a doubt that what we read in the Bible is historically true. This happened. If Jesus didn't die, if he didn't rise again, and so uh, usually this Conference is $65, but we're hosting it and we're also going to subsidize it. It's $30 for those two nights of training. And so I really want to encourage you if you have a life group that meets one of those nights, just talk and say, you know what, instead of our group, let's come to this and let's add another night. This is open to anybody. We need your registrations by the middle of next week, so I I just want to make you aware of that opportunity. Okay, well, now we're going to get into just two different aspects of this passage. And one is breaking down barriers. And and this is me just kind of meditating on the passage a bit. These are verses 7 and 8. And uh, this is what I get from it as far as the value of daily living. We need to, well, this is what verse 7 to 8 says. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And this man jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. So when I think about it, I think, okay, what's this whole encounter look like? First of all, it looks like, peter listening to a man that he's probably walked by before he's gone to the temple every day chances are he's gone this way probably jesus has walked this way and this man might have asked for money and they might have been in earshot before but the holy spirit made him aware you need to listen this time so he listened he went to the man says he looked at him intently he asked the man to look at him when after he said that he took his hand and he actually helped him up i don't know about for you but for someone who is down and out who hasn't had many good things in life maybe i think this is a way of restoring dignity all those actions were things that were saying you have value you have worth to god and because of that you have worth to me and uh, so i just i take that from that the other thing i take is that there is also the idea of accepting. In the uh, last part of verse 8, it says, Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. That might not sound like a big deal, but you have to think, this man, for, he's 40 years old, so I don't know when they started putting him on the steps, but for 30 years at least, he's been sitting at these steps, he sees people going into the temple to praise God, and he's not welcome in there. They can't even carry his mat in there. He's not allowed in there. And now he's healed. And he's walked with these men into a place where he's probably wanted to go for a while. The Bible tells us that in Acts 2, that when the people became Christians, they regularly, every day, they went into the temple court to praise God. And then they'd go home to have food at home. They'd break bread together. So this wasn't just going into a building. It was entering into relationship. And he went in with Peter and John to the temple. So he's, he's got relationship like he hasn't had before. People don't won't look at him quite the same way. I just want to encourage you, that last part where it says that they went to the temple, then it does say, and they went home and they broke bread together regularly. I'll tell you, there's something very valuable about us learning to do that together beyond going to restaurants, but getting into each other's homes and to inviting other people. It's a lost art And we really need to restore that. It's something we can do to show the love of Christ to people in a very tangible way. Let's enjoy those kind of meals together, those times together. So he restored dignity and I think there was something there to say about he helped him to experience acceptance. So ask yourself, are you willing to be used by God to break down barriers? Are you willing to be used by God to show someone dignity? Are you wanting to be used by God to help them know that they're accepted, that God loves them, that God offers them salvation. God loves all his children, but only those who are asked for forgiveness and are saved will spend eternity with him. But it's open to everybody. Are you willing to be that ambassador to offer people that? The last point of the message is just simply this. I think in this story, we see an individual who's gone from begging to being a person of blessing. And we read these words. It says, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. This man did not have a chance to have a livelihood. The society just said, This is what you're able to do. We'll give you money as we want to. Now he has his legs restored. He can do something. There's that part there that, physically speaking, he's able to do something that he couldn't do before. But the bigger part is this. He praised God. Don't take that for granted. Don't think that we would all do that because we have a physical healing that we'd automatically praise God. You know how I know that's true? Because Jesus healed 10 lepers, and they walked away. One of them realized, I forgot to thank God for this. And he went back to say thank you to Jesus, and the other nine just kept on walking. This lame man could have run throughout Jerusalem, but he chose to go into the temple of god to praise god that's amazing he's gone from begging to blessing god and then the impact it had on other people watching it says and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him again this wasn't like a very fluid community most of the people will have been there for a long time they knew what had physically happened to this man and now in the chapters ahead We're going to find out a little bit more about what could possibly happen in this man spiritually as well. That the real deeper healing could take place, a transformation. So I'm going to ask you this question in closing. And it's just simply this. What has happened to you because of Christ? And if your first reaction is, well, I don't have a miracle like that to talk about the lame man, I want to encourage you that as wonderful as that is, and as when we see physical things happen, that is miraculous. That is never the best thing that happened. The best thing is when someone comes from death to life. There is nothing that beats that. And if you've given your life to Christ, even though we may not nearly understand the depth of what has taken place in our life, we have gone from death with eternity apart from Christ to life with Christ forever and the blessing of His Holy Spirit abiding in us now. And I can tell you, I don't understand that nearly close enough. But I pray regularly, Lord, help me to understand the blessing of You. Help me to understand what it means to walk in step with Your Holy Spirit. I want You to be my life. And I'm willing to die to myself. Help me do that so I can have life in You. And I can tell you that when God gives you life, you will want to share it with others. How could we not want to share what is so precious? So at times I have to f- confess, Lord, my heart's just not there. I don't know what's blocking me, but I don't have joy in you right now. I, I don't have, and Lord, I f- I, I'll call it as it is. That's sin. And you know what God does? He says, Doug, you're forgiven. And he says, let's keep moving. Next day, same thing. Something happens. Oh, i sent. sinned. Doug, you're forgiven. Let's keep moving. He doesn't take it lightly, but our sins are paid for in Christ. And he's come to give you life. He's come to give you grace. Do you understand every time you're forgiven, he extends grace? And that grace, if it doesn't result in gratitude, well, then ask yourself if you've really received that forgiveness, even though it's been extended just going to close by reading this uh, portion of Scripture from Peter, and then I'll be asking the worship team to come up. So Peter, the man who the Lord used to heal this man, says these words in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 to 17. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that, you, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We have a treasure. Let's not take that for granted. Let's enjoy the treasure we have in Christ. And ask the worship team to come up. And I want to encourage you this week, whatever you do with your day, wherever you are, ask God to grow in you the awe that he deserves. Not just for what Christ did on the cross and risen again, but for what he's doing in you today because of the grace of his Holy Spirit. And let's be people who bless God and bless others.
1: Amen. We come as a family to worship, to praise, to walk in his way. And as we do, we discover all that we want just doesn't matter. And we find a peace That is beyond belief. Oh God. You call us to walk. You ask us to move forward in your way. You ask us to give our all to you and follow you. And in it, you grant us some of your greatest blessings, blessings that we can give to others. Pray that in Jesus' name, Amen.